no fault of my own, this morning, Greg Kinney came to me and asked if he was truly supposed to read verses 20 to 22, because that would probably have been the shortest sermon I had ever preached. Um, and I told him, no, that is not correct. It's actually 20 to 33. What I did not see is that it says John 13 and not John 12. And so, because of my own error, um, I'm going to read the passage I had prepared to preach on this morning, rather than preaching a sermon that I have not written and do not have prepared. (laughs) So this morning, please hear the word of the Lord from John 12, verses 20 to 33. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we come before you as your people. Lord, as we pray this morning, please speak to us through your word. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our desires to follow after you. Lord, we are a people who confess we cannot live on bread alone, but only by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for your food. Make us hungry for your word, that it may nourish us through Jesus Christ. Father, we lift up John Michael Atkinson. Lord, we pray that you heal him. Lord, give them wisdom on how to treat him so that he will be well again. Father, we pray for Jonathan Pence. Lord, we pray that you will heal him supernaturally. We pray for wisdom. Lead him on where you shall lead him where he needs to go. 
Lord bless his decision. Give his heart peace. Lord, we pray for Cynthia Jaquil. We ask you to heal her. Give her doctors wisdom. May they find a good doctor who will care for her, who will find the cause to her symptoms so that she might be healed. Lord, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving for Nick and Bonnie Bingenheimer. Lord, continue to bless this family. May this church be a blessing to them. Lord, we pray for Liz Scheibe, one of our missionaries, who has been sent to Eastern Europe to give counsel to the care of the people of you that are fleeing from Ukraine. Lord, we ask that you embolden her as she cares for these people. May you use her as a voice to awaken your sovereign will in the lives of the Ukrainian people. Lord, strengthen her when she has none left. Give her hope when she finds despair. And give her a peace and a joy that only comes from knowing Christ is risen from the dead. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. So what is something that you normally say to new parents? To the Stingles. What is, what is something that you would go up to Chandler and to Nick Stingle today and tell them as they become new parents for the first time? I remember when we were having Joel, our first child, one of the first things that people always said is, you're not going to sleep anymore. It always seems to be based upon time because the baby is now the center of their life. Everything now evolves around this baby. When is the mom supposed to sleep? When the baby sleeps. When is the mom supposed to eat? Whenever she finds time because the baby's stomach is not on a timetable that is normative to our waking times. You know, they don't wait till 9.30 before they're hungry in the morning. What we're going to see in our passage this morning is that for Jesus, his internal clock, what made him tick, evolved completely around God's plan for him. And what we have to ask ourselves is are we setting our clocks around Jesus? Is what makes us tick centered around what Jesus has done for us? And as we look at this passage, I, I, I want to say, this week I learned so much and I'm not going to be able to cover it. But what I want us to see this morning are three things. Is that in this passage, we see the glory given to God, we see the Greeks drawn to God, and we see the grumbled announcement 
of God himself. So the glory, the Greeks, and the grumble. The glory of God. And here in verse 23, we see, if not more pointedly than any other place in John's gospel, Jesus gives us the reason why he has come to earth. Look at verse 23 with me. The hour has come the Son of Man for the Son of Man to be glorified. And here we see three themes throughout John's gospel conflate, uh, collapsed into one idea. We see this idea of the hour. We are reminded or we are told of the hour all the way back in John chapter 2 when Jesus was in Cana turning the water into wine and his mother asked him and he said, my hour has not yet come. And we see this throughout John's gospel. His time has not come. But yet, here, after the triumphal entry, Jesus tells his disciples for the first time, now the hour has come. And what is the hour that has come? It's time for Jesus to go to the cross. It's time for Jesus to do what the Father sent him to do. His name is Jesus because he saves his people. Paul, when speaking of this hour, calls it the fullness of time when Jesus will go to the cross for the sins of his people. It is in this hour, at the cross and in the resurrection, that Jesus says he will be lifted up and he will receive glory. Matthew Harmon, a theologian, says, The ultimate purpose of Christ's death is to display the glory of God definitively. The Son glorifies the Father by working by doing the work of the Father, which is accomplished effectually the salvation of those whom the Father has given him. What is the hour? He tells us in verse 22, uh, 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw a people to myself. The fulfillment of Jesus' mission has come down to this one act. Going to the cross for the sins of his people. Everything that came before it was for his glory that he might glorify God the Father. And we see this. This hour is for his glory. All the way back in Luke chapter 2, when the angel pronounced that Jesus is coming, what did they start singing? Glory to God in the highest. Jesus' entire life, his entire ministry, all of his work is for one purpose and one purpose only, to bring glory to the Father. And when he speaks of this glory, as he does in verse 28, 
Father, glorify your name. He's speaking of his death. That is why he can say it is time for the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he teaches us about agriculture. He teaches us that a wheat, a, a grain of wheat must fall into the earth and die to reproduce life in abundance. It is at this hour, and it is in this glorious death, a glorious death. Isn't that interesting? Because for us, death is usually an overshadowing, an ominous end to our life, something that most people dread. And outside of Christ, they should dread death. But here, Christ tells us, that in his death, he will be glorified. This is his motivation. If you were here for our Sunday school on the Lord's Prayer, his motivation is that the name of God be hallowed everywhere. So the hour is the time where he will be glorified. His glory is synonymous with his death. And his death will be received by being lifted up. These are the three themes. The hour, the glory, and being lifted up. That John is collapsing into one verse. And the, the Son of Man is something we're going to cover next week. Because I just, I just couldn't get it all into one. But this idea of being lifted up. Is, is, this word is used four times in John's Gospel. Next week, we'll, we'll talk about it in verse 34. But this week, we see it in verse 32. And we've seen it previously in John chapter 8 and John chapter 3. And this is where we have the idea of Jesus' fulfillment of Numbers 21. I don't know if any of you, if, when you read um, Numbers 21 about the snakes, I told Jessica I was going to preach about snakes this week. And she's like, why? Well, John tells us in John chapter 3, verse 14. Please turn there with me in your Bibles. John chapter 3, verse 14, we have a better understanding of what Moses did in Numbers 21. It said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life what was happening in Numbers 21 is the people were in the wilderness and they were complaining. They were speaking against God and they were speaking against Moses and God judged them for their sin. This judgment came through the serpents. That's pretty bad judgment, being bitten by a snake. But their judgment was the snake would bite them and they would die. But what did... The people do. In verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned against you. And so God told Moses to make a bronze serpent, to put it on a staff and to lift it high. And everyone who had been bitten, everyone who had been judged for their sins might look at the serpent and live. And we see that fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That he would be lifted 
upon the cross. And everyone who would look upon Jesus would be forgiven of their sins because it is on the cross that Jesus was judged because of our sin. And this is exactly what John says in this passage. In verse 31, now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. You see, Jesus, at this hour, for the glory of God, was lifted up to receive the judgment that we deserve because of our sin. But it was at this time, in the fullness of time, when Jesus was lifted up, he defeated Satan. It was at that time upon the cross where the son of the woman crushed the head of the serpent and judged the world, and the ruler was cast out. Satan can no longer condemn you because the Son of Man was lifted up. How often does Satan tempt us? How often do we fall into our sin? And then Satan, at that very moment where he tempts us, shames us. He draws us to himself. It's okay. It's okay, children. This, this is the friend who says, oh, I dare you to do this. And as soon as you do, do it, goes and tells the teacher. This is what Satan does to us in our daily lives. It, it, it'll be okay. You really, this is really going to help. You'll really like this. Just come a little bit closer. And then once we taste that sin, Satan turns on us and says, how could you? You're supposed to be a Christian. How could you do that? But because Christ was lifted up, Jesus says to you, your judgment has been dealt with. Sin can no longer condemn you. Sin also no longer has power over you. How many times in your sin you just feel completely powerless? I just can't make it. Next time, next time I'll make it, but this time, not, not, not any longer. How many times have we seen people who have professed faith, who have said, I love my sin too much to follow Jesus anymore? Because Jesus was lifted up for the glory of God, he says to you, you are free. Sin and Satan are no longer your master. I, I am now your master. Sin, sin and Satan can no longer condemn you. The power of sin no longer has power over you. And the lie of sin 
is no longer there. How many times have we, good, reformed Presbyterians, who believe and know that since the foundation of the world, all things work for better for our good who believe in Jesus? And then Satan comes to us and says, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God has this under control? Because it doesn't look like he has it under control. It doesn't feel as though God is in control. God planned that for you? You know what that means? That means God isn't good. And he wants us to believe that he is in control. And you know what? That's the exact same thing he did to Adam. Did God really say? And we don't follow after God's will. We follow after the lie. And all it brings us is death. Because Jesus was lifted up, we now have a better Adam. Not an Adam that, that leads us into sin, but an Adam that leads us into glory because he has brought us into the presence of God where we will never be cast out. In this passage, we see two deaths. Glory, hallelujah. We see two deaths. We see the death of Jesus being lifted up, which is the fulfillment, by the way, of Isaiah 52, 13, one of our favorite servant psalms or songs. Jesus' death upon the cross fulfills God's prophecy that he will send a servant, a suffering servant in our place. But we also see a second death. For Jesus tells us in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the paradox of the Christian faith. To gain life, you must lose it. If you love your life, if you love the things of this world, if you love the things that Adam has to offer you, you miss out on Jesus. And you know, this is really hard. Because for some of us, we really do want to follow Jesus. And it's hard. And what I want to tell you this morning is it's okay that it's hard. I typically love the chapter headings of the ESV Bible. Typically love them, and not just ESV. I typically love the chapter, chapter headings of the Bible. I wish I could just rip this one out in between verses 26 and 27. Just rip out and just conjoin those two sentences. Because it says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. 
If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. Doesn't that sound like your life when you're trying to follow Jesus? It's going to be hard. Because to follow Jesus, we have to do what Jesus did and be willing to give our lives for the glory of God alone and not for our own glory. But this is what Jesus promises us. This is, this is what's so incredible about the hope of the gospel. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am there, my servant will also be. Like Moses, who came out of, off of Mount Sinai, and his face shone with the glory of God, if we follow after this servant of God, this Messiah, if we are in close contact with him, so we will receive God's glory because our sins have been removed. And what does he tell us? The unfathomable grace of God is not that we will receive judgment for our sins. What does he say? The Father will honor him. Even when it's hard, even when we've messed up, if we are in the radius, if we are united to Christ in faith, the Father will look at us and we will receive honor because of the work of Jesus Christ. The cross is not an afterthought because it was at the fullness of time that Christ came to be glorified by the Father. It was because of the glory of Christ that he is given a different crown. As we saw last week, during the triumphal entry, the people wanted to crown him as king, but Jesus rejected that crown and said, my only crown, when I will be lifted high and glorified as king, is when I'll go to the cross for the good of my people. And it's interesting, at this time, at this hour, the fullness of time, what triggered that time? What, why, why now? Well, we, we actually see it in, the, in this passage in both verse 20 and verse 32. It says, Now among those who, were, who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So this word for Greeks, John uses it in, ver, in chapter 7, verse 35. And in the other occurrences, it's really just to refer to Jews living in the dysphoria. So, living throughout the Roman Empire. So, when John here says Greeks, what he means is Gentiles, non-Jews. And what has triggered this prophecy being fulfilled, Isaiah's prophecy being fulfilled, is something that we see throughout all of Isaiah's book, all the book of Isaiah. What we see throughout the Old Testament. The reason that God has called his people 
to be his people, to be redeemed by Christ, isn't for their benefit only. It's for the benefit of the entire world. And now the Greeks, the entire world has come to Jerusalem to worship. Now the time is set. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that he might redeem the world. Salvation is no longer for Israel. The kingdom of God is being brought here on earth because Jesus is the light of the world that is drawing the nations to him. It is in this, it is in going to the cross and be lifted up that the promises to Abraham are being fulfilled. That God was going to bless Abraham so that he might be a blessing to the nations. And so Jesus here, going to Calvary, knows the time has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be lifted in glory so that he might bless the entire cosmos. Our God doesn't aim for the small things. He's going after his entire creation. There's not one part of his creation that he does not declare, that is mine. And he judges Satan kicks him out. And lastly, we see the grumbling announced by God. I always find it funny with, with little children, with little children who are just learning to speak, if you ever go to them and ask them a question, how many of you can't understand what they're saying? But their parents or their siblings can translate everything, right? It's just like, it's just like a grumble or a, or a mumble. Well, here we have God speaking to Jesus. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And the voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the, and the crowd stood there, and they heard what sounded like thunder. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. But listen to this. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. How can it be for their sake if they could not understand it? D.A. Carson says, eventually the disciples would remember what Jesus told them and what the voice had uttered, and that that was divine confirmation, that through the shameful cross, all that followed was not death and defeat, but it was victory. Not final destruction, but ultimate glorification. Here's what's interesting. The Greeks wanted to see Jesus, but they couldn't hear God without Jesus interpreting it for them. So I ask you, are you trying to hear Jesus? Are you trying to hear God speak to you without looking to Jesus? The word became flesh, gave us this word. 
that we might know him, that we might glorify him, which enables us to be a light unto the nations. Because where we have found our salvation, when we have looked upon Jesus as he is high and lifted up, that is the only hope of salvation for the entire world. As we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded this actually should be our body and blood. Because of our sin, because of our continual, treacherous, evil, adulterous sin. Yet we come remembering that this is the body of Christ that has been lifted up on our behalf. So that anyone who looks upon Jesus knows that they will live. It is at this table we need to reset our internal clocks. Everything should evolve around Jesus. There is nothing in this life that can offer you what Jesus has to offer you in the gospel. Because he offers you the second person of the Trinity. Himself. And it's because of Jesus that we can glorify God. This morning in Sunday school, I asked, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Without Jesus, we can do neither of those things. It is at the cross that Jesus definitively accomplished the mission of God. And it is at the cross that we are called to bring, to draw the nations to Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Let's pray.